This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. After circumstances did not unfold according to plan, a group of devoted practitioners in England erected a tent so a late autumn retreat could go on. Reggie offers a talk of encouragement, sharing lore about the hardiness of the lineage in times past. This talk was given at the 2016 Meditating with the Body Retreat, held at Buckfast Abbey in Devon, England. To find out about the upcoming Meditating with the Body Retreat, please visit dharmaocean.org. So I wanted to just tell you a couple of a couple of stories, very brief, just about this lineage. And it's more or less along the lines of Everything that happens actually is very significant if we pay attention to it and if we lean into it and if we allow it to more or less disrupt our expectations. It's very interesting. Did you mention, I know you mentioned one of the I Ching readings, but did you mention what we got about uh, the work and Dharmotion, about what was a breakthrough or liberation or whatever it was? Wasn't that what we got? Well, anyway, I'll tell you what I think we got. You know, we woke up Wednesday morning and, of course, very, very shocked. And so one of our questions was, what about, what's the outlook for the work, for this lineage? And in the kind of in the back of my mind was, well, it's really going to be dark. It wasn't. In fact, it was obstacles are now finally falling away. And the way is going to be, they're not entirely gone, but they're falling away. And the, the river, the lineage is going to be much more free now. And when I thought about it, you know, initially it was, what? But when I thought about it and when we talked about it, where human beings get really caught is when their expectations are not disrupted and they get locked into a particular way of looking at things and they think that's the way it is and that's the way it's going to be. They really become, they inhabit their left brain and they lose touch with reality. And what's happened now is the expectations and the assumptions of a lot of people, um, including ourselves, have really been blown to smithereens. And strangely enough, on a personal level and also I think on a lineage level, when that happens it opens the way for the Dharma to be more clearly heard, for there to be more genuine inspiration to practice. In other words, it puts us in touch with a deeper sense of ourself. And sometimes what happens is quite, it's quite shocking. There was somebody that Trung Rinpoche called the greatest Vajranist in Tibet, which is for Trung Rinpoche, that's like, that's a definitely the stamp of approval because Trungpa Rinpoche was a Vajrayana person 
beginning, middle, and end. I don't think he had a non-Vajrayana cell in his body. And this person was somebody named Taranata. And he lived in Tibet, and he was born in, 16, in 1575. And during his lifetime, he was a member of the Nyingma lineage. And the Nyingmas were the practitioners. They didn't institutionalize. And the Nyingmas kind of lived in East Tibet, in these little hermitages and in families. It was a family lineage. What we're doing is basically continuing that Nyingma family lineage approach. Family doesn't mean biological lineage, but exactly, but it means practicing in lay settings, lay people. And, you know, usually the person in Caroline's in my position, we'd have a household, we'd have our children, it'd be extended family, and, and there'd be the Vajrana family living in a certain region, very decentralized, very lay-oriented. So they had no political power. But what they did have was they were the only ones that were preserving the original Vajrayana lineage from India that came in the 7th and 8th centuries, ninth century. Uh, real practitioners, and, you know, that's us. It's who we are. And Trunk Rinpoche, his heart was a Nyingma heart if you know anything about Tibetan Buddhism, although he was officially a Kagyu Toku, but he, he was really a Nyingma. So what happened during Taranatha's day was he was a great practitioner and a great scholar, but the so-called political ruling group at that time, very anti-Vajrayana, very anti-Nyingma, and very sort of fundamentalist, they began attacking the the Nyingma hermitages and attacking the places where the Nyingmas had their books and burning the books. And the Nyingmas had no way to respond. And they, Taranata wanted to just go into retreat for the rest of his life. And he, he basically said, I'm out of here. The world's falling apart. These evil people have really taken over the situation in Tibet and they're not even willing to let us be, us, you know, humble practitioners. And he went into retreat, and this, you know, this was a person who was a very strong practitioner, and every year of his life he would go into retreat for a couple months, as the Nyingmas did. And the rest of the time he was out teaching whatever. And he, he was in retreat a very short time, and he had a vision of his Yiram, which I think was Tara. Tara Nata means the protector of Tara, the goddess Tara, the enlightened feminine principle. And Tara said to him, it's not that easy. You know, there are going to be possibilities for you in this lineage now that didn't exist before, and you can't give up. You can't retreat. You need to, you know, it's not you need to go out and be on the barricades and take up arms, but you need to deepen your own practice with other people. You need to teach them. You need to be with them. You need to continue the lineage. And so that's what he did, and it was, he was heartsick about what was happening but somehow that whole situation freed him and it freed the people he was with to look much more deeply at what they were doing and to dedicate themselves with new inspiration and new focus and new vigor to keeping these teachings alive and, as I was saying, bring them to the people so the people can live. So I was thinking after what happened in the United States, I was definitely kind of putting my mind to Taranata and realizing that 
it's not just true in these cataclysmic situations where the whole world seems to be falling apart, that we can be re-inspired and in a way freed from any expectations we might have had about what things are and how things work. It's actually in every moment of our life. We have a chant that some of you know about in Dharma Ocean to Chogyam Trungpa. Toward the end of the chant it says something like, disrupt our expectations and spare nothing in bringing us home. Meaning that all the things that happen in our life that disrupt us, for ordinary people, those become sources of fear, sources of reactivity, sources of new defensiveness and new strategies. But for a practitioner of the authentic Dharma, those become moments where we are freed from our expectations and we can step more deeply into our own lives. And when I come in, you know, I, we came here and see the tent and it's freezing cold and the heat's not working and, and then can we get electricity out to the tent? And I can't tell you, you know, I'm sitting up here freezing too. In fact, this is very cold up here because I don't have warm bodies around me. But I know you're freezing. But I can't tell you how comfortable I am when things are going to hell in a handcart. I am so comfortable because I know and I feel the hand of the lineage. And I feel, I can feel the opening. And of course, I have my resistance and something comes up. That's how we are as humans. And then there's the, the gate opens. It's very, very interesting. So here's, here's one of the situations I want to tell you about. There were many great teachers of our lineage who would take their students up into the mountains in the fall, in the autumn, before the snows came, on retreat. Let's go on retreat. You know, they're living in the, uh, in the villages. The sheep have been shorn or the yaks have been milked or whatever. If there were, you know, a little bit of agriculture, the harvest is in. So time to go on retreat. Let's go on retreat. Everybody goes, this is great. We're going to go on retreat with our teacher. This is awesome. We can't wait. We've been waiting all year to go on retreat with our teacher. So up they go. And these mountain retreats are miles and miles and miles above the village. And the village is not, it's like not what we think of as being a village. It's like this little group of houses, and, but at least there's a warm fire and a roof over your head and food. And everybody has to bring their own food. So you get your, your little yak hair sack and you put roasted barley in it, and that's going to be it for you for the next six weeks. So you better bring enough. And then... And, you know, you bring your whatever, I don't know if they have coats in Tibet, but whatever they had, you bring your warm things and up you go. And you get up, you know, here's the upper fields, and then, no, the teacher wants to go higher. So you go up a little higher, no, the teacher wants to go a little bit higher. Meantime, there's nobody around. I mean, what's the problem? Why are we going higher? This is it. I mean, this is good enough. There's nobody for like 20 miles. Nope, we've got to go up higher. And then they go up, and there's some big mountains, and maybe a little higher, there's some caves and some high pasture. So the teacher goes, I think, let's do our retreat up there. 
So everybody goes up and everybody says, okay, where are we going to sleep? And the teacher goes, that's not my problem. That's your problem. So you need to go around and try to find some kind of cave or rock overhang where you can sleep. So we're going to take the afternoon and you go find some place to sleep that's warm. And so the students go, there is no place to sleep that's warm. In fact, there aren't any caves up here. Where am I supposed to sleep? And the teacher said, well, remember Petro Rinpoche? He just slept in ditches. He's one of the, probably the greatest. Petro Rinpoche hadn't been born yet, but maybe the teacher knew he was coming along. <laughs> <laughs> and reports we read, and the students did write down reports about what happened there and how it was receiving teachings. So there'd be teaching period. They would, in the morning, gather around the teacher and there'd be teachings and then they would go off in the afternoon maybe to practice and then they'd come back in the evening to eat together and then they would go sleep. And what the students said was it was really, really difficult. And we're talking about, I mean, Tibetans incredibly hardy people. These are people who can go barefoot when it's 20 below zero in the snow. I mean, in other words, they're very hardy people. And we have these very idealistic versions of what it's like to be in retreat with our teacher, but that's not how it was. And so these wonderful reports come down to us of incredibly difficult teachers not really helping us that much. Um, in terms of like getting by, struggling, not sleeping, mice get into the food, so then, then you have to start rationing your food because you don't really have enough. Just very, very difficult situation. But the teachings that came through were completely and totally life-giving. And there, difficult as it was, almost it seems that the the difficulties of the retreat situation are necessary in order for us to remain grounded enough to actually take the teachings in and not turn them into something, some kind of new ego trip or new spiritual ego. download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.